United Church of Christ presents Grace Can Build a Bridge, the sermon by member Erica Beseda, presented on Sunday, October 27th, 2019. Good morning. So I want to give a couple of notes before I start. The first one is that this was an experience I had when I was uh, a born-again Christian, so it's going to be quite Jesus-centric, and um, I guess I'm sorry for that. <clears throat> But it's my story. It's what it is. Um, and the second is that I'll be referring to God with the male pronoun, and that's just, frankly, for ease of conversation for myself. And that's what I wanted to share with you. Um, when I think about the day that I die, I, can sit, I think about how the Lord and I will be looking at my life. And... Um, I don't necessarily believe I'll be standing before God, but I think I'll be standing with God as we, you know, kind of see what I've done and not done and been and not been. And I imagine it as a large, maybe kind of graffitied type mural. And all in the mural, all of my life's experiences are waterways. They're rivers that are kind of dangerous and have boulders and white water and um, whirlpools. There's simple creeks that um, get bigger sometimes and stay smaller sometimes. There might be a lock or two. Um, and over all of these waterways are bridges. And the bridge is what God and I built to get, build together to get over these waterways. So I'm going to talk a little bit about one of the strongest bridges that, um, that the Lord and I built, and that was from uh, where I went from conservative Christianity to progressive Christianity, and that's the story. Um, it's early 1991. I'm living in a house with several other girls around the corner from my church, and we were very active in our church. And by active, I mean twice on Sunday, once on Wednesday, once on Friday, and almost always a woman's Bible study, always, always, always led by a pastor's wife, somewhere in between that. And um, the people call, everyone called our house the WOG house, the women of God. And there was always people there. We fed lots of people. And this was an evening that was not unusual. We had two guys who had come over for dinner, and we fed them, and then we went out into the living room and had prayer and worship and studied the Bible a little bit. The two guys were Kevin and Mark. Let me tell you about Kevin. Kevin was a walking, talking miracle. On the day that he became a born-again Christian, that means he said the prayer, asked God into his heart, asked forgiveness, he was delivered or healed from a drug and alcohol addiction, just like that. I mean, like, it actually truly happened. And Kevin loved God. He loved God like David loved God. I'm pretty sure that him and that God and him, that the two of them, like, would walk through gardens together and talk. They were just like this. 
um, Kevin was studying the scripture really um, intently. He started to study uh, Hebrew and Greek so he could get a better understanding of the word. He could quote scripture. He was amazing. Yet he had a thorn in his side, or what he thought was a thorn in his side. Kevin was gay. And he hated that about himself. All the time, he prayed that God would heal him from his homosexuality. He would sometimes go out into the Southern California desert to fast and pray in the actual wilderness so that God would heal him from being gay. So this night was not unlike any other prayer night, prayer meeting or time. He got up off the couch, he went into the middle of the living room, got down on his knees, lifted up his arms, and he was ready. God's going to heal me this time. I know it in Jesus' name. And we all began to pray for him. And then Mark got up off the couch and walked up to him and put, held his face in his hands like this and started praying for him. And in one breath, he was praying nice words, and then in a second breath, he started screaming into his face, demanding that the demon of homosexuality would release Kevin right now in Jesus' name. And he's screaming this, and Kevin's crying, and he's agreeing in prayer. He's like, yes, Jesus, yes, Lord, please, God, please heal me. And this goes on for some while, and I'm starting to feel uncomfortable because it's like really feeling just gross, you know, not right. And in fact, I was thinking in the back of my head, I wonder, this was the first time I thought of it, if the reason Kevin's not being healed is because God's saying no, and there's nothing to heal, right? That thought came to me, which at the moment, at that moment, I thought quite, I honestly thought it was heresy. Um, I've become a very good heretic since then. Um, But that was my first step into heresy. Um, Then all of a sudden, Mark stops screaming at him and says, Kevin, look at me. So Kevin looks up, and he's crying, and he's crying so hard, he can't catch his breath. We used to call it the sup-sups. Mark looks Kevin in the eye and said, if you wanted to be healed, you'd be healed by now. And he let go of his face and walked out the door. Y'all, that moment, everyone in our, ho- in our house was just completely silenced. It was the loudest silence I've ever heard. I could hear the clock in the kitchen. It was one of those 1970s digital clocks, you know, that go click, 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 and that's what you could hear. After a minute, Kevin gets up, and he goes and washes his face, and he composes himself, and we're still sitting in the living room, having not moved. He comes out, and he's like, I know Jesus healed me this time. I love you guys. Goodbye. And he walked out the door. We never saw him again. That night, I went to bed, and I felt this heavy boulder on my chest. I couldn't catch my breath, and I just felt so yucky, and and I could feel my body being kind of like, being sunk into the mattress. So I began to pray. I'm like, I don't know why I feel this way. I'm sad. I, I don't get it. And then the Lord spoke to me. 
He's like, you know, you could have said something. It would have been okay. So I decided at that night that I was going to start saying something. But I needed to learn more. So I started studying the scripture specifically to see if being gay was a sin. On my own, just a girl, <laughs> you know, wanting to know. And what I came up with in the course of several months was that the answer to that was quite simply no. And the, the bottom line for me was that Jesus never said anything about it. Like, he talked about divorce, he talked about adultery, but he never spoke about same-gender relationships at all. And it was a thing, you know, but it, it's always been a thing. So I know it was around and in his life, but he simply didn't care. So during this time, the other thing I'm doing is praying for an opportunity to ask Kevin's forgiveness and make amends to him. I really felt like I had, um, I just, hmm, the, law, the word is gone, uh, failed him. Um, and I kept praying constantly, constantly, constantly asking God for that opportunity. And um, it never happened. You know, it just simply didn't happen. Um, so I began to pray that somehow that God would uh, reach him on his own. So the months go by, I'm studying, I'm starting to ask questions, which is getting me in trouble. Because um, the church I was at, like, you just didn't. Women in particular didn't. You wore dresses, you stayed quiet, um, you didn't, y'all. So we're at Denny's one night, and I'm waiting and waiting and waiting for somebody to pray over the food because I'm hungry. So finally I just say, hey, let's pray. And I stand up and I ask God to bless the food. And when I went to the bathroom a little while later, one of the girls takes me aside and says, we shouldn't pray over the food at dinner. We need to practice. We need to let the boys practice being leaders. I'm like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Anyways, back to my story. Um, so, so now it's October, right? October 1991. It's October 1st. And Governor Pete Wilson had vetoed a bill that in its simplest terms said you can't fire somebody for being gay. And I had been a vocal proponent of this bill since it came out, which was, again, Erica and her mouth and her her asking questions was getting me in trouble. But he vetoed the bill, and I forget what his reasoning was, it doesn't matter, but California basically imploded. And uh, gay rights groups all over the state that night were demonstrating and marching against it. So I'm driving home, I'm on Garden Grove Boulevard, which is a little, which is 99E really, it's a pretty significant thoroughfare through Orange County, and all of a sudden, Everything stops. And I'm just waiting, so I turn on the radio or I change the radio station to find out what the traffic is. Now, in Southern California, they have traffic every 10 minutes because, you know, it's Southern California. We should probably start doing that up here now. And um, so I'm just waiting to hear the news, and they say that Garden Grove Boulevard has been shut down by a group of gay rights 
activists, advocates, and they were protesting. So I'm like, hmm, I'm thinking. And then the Lord actually speaks to me, uses the words, here's your sign. So I, I, by another miracle, I get off the road, I park, and I grab my purse and my Bible. Let me show you. This Bible, this was the Bible that I grabbed and because I carried it with me everywhere I went, as one does. And um, I started walking towards the sound. When I get up to it, as I'm about uh, just a couple blocks away, I can hear drums beating. And it's just like this. It's the sound of a heartbeat. And then get up closer and closer. And when I get to it, right, I walk through the crowd and I see hundreds of people. I see rainbow flags and the drums are beating. And they're marching and they're chanting, we're here, we're queer, get used to it. I had never experienced a time where everyone's heartbeat was beating at the same time. And I mean that. Like, I was a a new believer counselor at three different Billy Graham crusades. All right? Like, I knew what it's like to be in a space with everybody who believes the same thing. But it wasn't even like that. Billy Graham was an amazing preacher, by the way. I don't know if you remember. (laughs) He's like, just wow. Anyways, nothing like a son. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to go there. (laughs) Um, So I start to walk along. And I'm just walking, and I'm just kind of taking this all in and experiencing it. It's sort of like my first pride, really. And I start to walk in step with this very beautiful man, tall guy. And we smile at each other. Um, You know, we just kind of like connect a little bit, and then we keep walking. And up in the far corner is a group of anti-gay rights protesters. And they're sort of like the Westboro Baptist Church, but I'm 100% certain it wasn't actual Westboro Baptist Church back then. And they're screaming at us, and they're saying horrible things, and they're surrounded by police officers. And at the time, I thought that the police officers were protecting them from us. But now that I think about it, I'm pretty sure it was the other way around. Because I'm telling you, if they had rocks to throw, they would have been throwing rocks at us. They frightened me. And so instinctively, I grab the hand of the guy that I'm walking with, the stranger. And he just, like almost like a dance, pulls my arm through his arm, holds it tight, and says, don't worry, I'll protect you. So we continue to walk, and the Lord says again to me, here's your sign. So I'm like, no, I can't possibly do it. And the Lord is, Erica, you got to do it. It's time. So I take a deep breath. I turn up to him and I say, so like, you know, it was the early 90s and I was 20. So sorry. So like, you know, like those people over there, you know, um, that's a lie. It's not true. God loves you. And he began to cry. And I was like, oh, my God, what have I done? And he's crying. And the Lord's like, shh, just bear witness, Erica. 
So that's what I did. I just stood there, let him cry. He takes a deep breath and said, it's been years since I've heard that. And he tells me his story. He was kicked out of his house when he was 17 years old because his mother read his prayer journal. And I'm quite certain, by the way, that's an unpardonable sin. I mean, I might be wrong. I know I'm preaching on grace, but there's a limit. (laughs) That night, his parents kicked him out. His dad, by the way, was a pastor. His mother was a good pastor's wife. He lost everything in 24 hours. In a very short time, we've all heard this story before, he was prostituting himself in order to survive on the streets, and in order to survive prostituting himself, he was using drugs and alcohol. And he lived like that for a really long time. The time I met him, he had been sober for a while, he had a good job. This bill meant something to him. It was his life. I asked him the scariest question ever. Do you believe what the Bible says is true? He's silent for a moment. He's like, yeah. I believe it's the word of God. I'm like, I've got something to share with you. So I grab my Bible. And I'm not going to read Psalm 139, but that was the first scripture I read to him. And I asked him a question. What was God doing when you were in your mother's womb? He was knitting me together. What did God know about you? He knew who I was. What had God written in your book of life? Everything. We took a breath, and I turned to another scripture, and I turned to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God came into the world not to condemn it, but to save it. And I asked him another question. So who's saved? Those who believe in him. Why? Because God came here to save us. That's right. Then I turn to another scripture. Romans 10, 11. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is, for the same Lord over all is rich who call upon him. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be, what? Saved. Amen. We took a deep breath. We stared at each other. He let me pray for him, like out loud. And so that we sat at a bus, station, bus stop, and I just asked God to um, keep him safe, to keep him healthy. It was 1991. I mean, gay men were just dying by the hundreds. I asked that if it was appropriate that the Lord would reconcile his relationship with his family, and that if it wasn't, that God would bring to him another family, that he would find a mom and a dad. And he had at that point, you know, he had a good group of people in his life. Then he walked me back to my car. I got in my car. I drove home. Never saw him again. But 
I slept for the first time in nearly a year. Now, remember how I talked earlier about the waterways? So the river that is this story, is that's just part of the river. This is just one whirlpool. I mean, the experience I had as a born-again Christian from the age of 14 to 27 was fraught with loss and fear and anger and um, joy. So the Lord and I were building this bridge for me to get over that. And this bridge, it is strong, y'all. This bridge is not going anywhere. The pylons are deep into the earth, and it's built to withstand a 10-point earthquake. It's going to handle a Cat 5 hurricane or a F6 tornado. Is there an F6? I think it's an F. Anyway, a big, big tornado. And that's not going anywhere. And it's not just because it's metaphorical, but because it's actually, you know, the Lord and I built it together. So my experiences and things like that are bridges that I cross over all the waterways that end to this one place that I call Grace Lake. Grace Lake is a space that you can go to anytime, and you get to go back and forth. It's not like the ending. It's like a, you can go anytime you want, and it's huge because it's for everybody, and it's clean and pure. When you look down, down into Grace Lake, you can see the bottom, and there is no bottom because Grace is that remarkable. And the Lord is there at Grace Lake. I mean, he's with you all the time, but specifically he's there. And he's just going to wait there for you. Because here's the thing about grace. You have to receive it in order to get it. God's not going to shove it at you because God's a gentleman. He's just going to wait and continue to hand over grace and then ask you to receive it back. When you jump into the waters of Grace Lake, it's not too cold, it's just perfect. And they're purifying, they cleanse you. They cleanse you of your pain and your agony and your fear. They cleanse you of the dirt, they cleanse you of everything. And no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're living with, grace is there for you and there for me, even God help me for the people that you don't think deserve it, which is really good that I'm not God because (laughs) there would be some times when I'd be like, no, you don't get to go here. (laughs) One of the other ways that I think about getting to to Grace Lake is when you give grace, you get closer to it. You know that game Candyland, where you just kind of you know, go through and you hit candy, and sometimes you get a card that has two red, two red squares. You know, did, you know, quick tangent. Did you did you know that, that a guy invented Candyland for children who were in the hospital with polio, so they'd have something to do? I learned that on Call the Midwife. 
<laughs> um, so every time you give grace, whether it's letting somebody merge into the road, whether it's, you know, if somebody's $5 short on, their gro on the money that they need for groceries and you just pay the groceries, or whether it's praying for somebody, or whether it's not judging somebody, those are things that get you to grace as well as the experiences of us learning something. Now, I think about that experience when I was a born-again Christian, and the truth is, a lot of it I wouldn't do again. You know, like sometimes say, oh, I learned so much, I wouldn't change a thing. I'd change a lot of it. It was really painful. And I'm not friends with anybody from that time. Well, that's one, and she just recently died of brain cancer. But she went through the same experience I did, the same deconstruction that I did, and it was so painful. I wouldn't wish that on. It was just the worst. But I'm also grateful that the Lord, through that time, taught me that it's okay. It's going to be okay. Grace is all we have right now. Things are a nightmare. It makes me sick all the time. But I have grace. My grace is sufficient. I'm, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. Let's pray for a sec. Gracious God, man, or person with no name or many names, I just ask for you to give, show us all opportunities in the next few days on how to reach Grace Lake. Show us, give us opportunities to um, extend grace and please give us opportunities to receive it. And all the people said, amen. Listen, listen, listen.